on in. Would you stand as we sing together? I'm just going to take a minute to bless our service this morning, quiet our hearts and get us present. Lord, we gather together this morning and we invite you here. You're always with us, but we tune our attention and our focus to you this morning. And we ask you for the grace to even hear what you're saying. Would you tune our ears to the movement and the work and the sound of your voice this morning? You can have a seat. Good morning. My name's Abel, and I'm on the community team, which is our adult small groups team, and we want to help our body belong, grow, serve, and multiply. So if we can help you with any of those things, we would love to do that. This is Sarah Oberman. She is on our early childhood team, which is birth through preschool, so zero to five-year-olds. And uh, if you have Young kids, you are grateful for this team, aren't you? Yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. My wife and I loved the one hour a week when our kids were in preschool. We loved that one hour a week where we could enjoy church together. 
So uh, if you are new with us, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We'd love to help you get connected, love to get to know you. And you can do that one of two ways. You can text hashtag new to the number on the screen or better yet, stop by the community booth after service and visit with somebody. We'd love to talk with you. So Sarah and her family are new to Northwest Arkansas, new to fellowship and new to staff on fellowship. So we would, we would love to, uh, I wanted to introduce her to y'all. Um, so Sarah, how long have y'all lived in Northwest Arkansas? We have lived in Northwest Arkansas for two years this month. And from, where'd y'all move from? From Carthage, Missouri. Excellent. Yeah. And how did y'all find fellowship and get connected here? Yeah, so we moved here in 2020 um, and just kind of struggled to figure out what it looked like to build community for our family in this new place where we didn't know anyone and everything was kind of closed down. And so um, we were just really eager to find a church home and actually started attending fellowship online um, in June of 2020. And then came, whenever churches started reopening for in-person gatherings, we came to fellowship and loved it, but we're just kind of overwhelmed by the size of fellowship and um, felt like maybe it was just too big for our family. So we continued to search for our church home, and um, my husband, Brian, will tell you that we visited every other church in Northwest Arkansas, um, but a year, a year ago, we came back to fellowship and just really felt a peace about plugging in here and making this our church home. Awesome. And then what's, what's the connection process look like? Yeah, so we knew that if we were going to plug into a bigger church, we would have to kind of put out a little effort. And so we started just scanning the QR codes and talking to anyone we could find out in the connections area in the lobby at Rogers and got connected to a Discover group that was meeting starting last fall and um, weren't really entirely sure what we were signing up for. But it was just ended up being such a beautiful time of getting to know six other families who were new to Northwest Arkansas, new to fellowship, and um, grow together, share stories just of God's faithfulness in our lives. And um, maybe one of the sweetest parts of the whole thing was that the week after our first group meeting, we came to church and walked into the big worship center and could recognize six other families in the room with us. And it was just a really cool moment of feeling the big church feel a little bit smaller. That's awesome. Yeah. So what's what's the uh, process been like coming on staff? How did that happen? Yeah, so <laughs> just dove right in. Um, we had been praying for an opportunity for me to return to work. And um, so just with our interactions with fellowship staff, we had just been really blessed by the people here. And so decided we'd check the church website and see if there was anything available here open. And um, there was an open position for the curriculum coordinator for Bentonville. And... Um, kind of a backtrack story of a way that God had provided for our family for the eight years I stayed home with our boys was that um, I was able to do curriculum for our church's daycare. And so it was just a really cool moment of just seeing God's provision in the past while I stayed home and just for our future in this new place. That's awesome. Yep. So here's a picture of Sarah and uh, some other folks from the early mm -hmm. childhood team. You see the ratio here. Um, that. That right there is a one-to-one -one ratio of uh, <laughs> leaders to kids. Um, they said 10 minutes before this, they had three leaders in there, and uh, the eight children were going nuts, so they had to call in back up, and, um, and our early childhood team does an incredible job. I get asked often, hey, if y'all have needs on Sunday morning to serve, 
And this is the area I always point to, early childhood. They just need a lot of leaders to care for these kids, and they do an incredible job, and it's a fun and impactful ministry. If you want to get some people fired up, say, yeah, we're, so you need me to work in child care? Don't call it child care. This is children's ministry, and they believe it's the first part of the discipleship process. They pray for these babies. They invest in them. They share Bible stories, and it's really a sweet ministry. So if you uh, are not serving, we want our whole body to worship one and serve one. So come at 845, serve, and then uh, come to 1030. That'd be awesome. Um, today, we're going to be talking about John chapter 3, Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again and ha experience this, this new life from above. What has that experience been like for you, Sarah? Yeah, so I am really grateful that my story includes parents who were faithful to walk with the Lord and to model that for me growing up. And so um, at the age of six, I remember just kind of understanding my, my sin and the weight of it and just the, the shame and hopelessness that surrounded it. And at the same time, being overwhelmed with God's love for me and sending Christ to cover that. And so I um, accepted Jesus and I was baptized when I was six years old. I could barely see over the baptistry. I had to stand on like a brick because I was so little. <laughs> but God just met me where I was and has just grown my heart um, as I've grown up in the faith just to know him and walk with him and trust him more. And what's, what do you feel like the biggest difference he's made in your life is? Yeah, um, I think overall the biggest difference would be that I can be really prone to worry and fear. And um, just knowing that God took care of my greatest need on this earth um, through Christ's sacrifice just gives me such peace and hope and joy to walk my days on earth. So, mm -hmm. yes. Amen, that's well said. So uh, last service, we got to celebrate this new life. Uh, as a body in, uh, in a baptism. And, and J.P. McCrory baptized his daughter Zoe. That was just an hour or so ago. And uh, it was such a sweet thing to see a dad baptize his daughter and celebrate new life in Jesus. Let me pray for us as we get going this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your provision. Thank you for the Oberman family, bringing them to fellowship. Thank you for the work you uh, have done in their lives and continue to do. Thank you for their three boys, and uh, pray that you continue to draw them close to your heart. Lord, we pray for uh, just this service. We um, pray that we would be focused on Jesus and uh, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And thank you for the, the opportunity to worship you together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly stand with us and we'll sing this again and just lift your voices as you can see this morning there's not a lot of instruments so uh, I invite you to be the loudest instrument this morning as we lift our praise to him and praise God from whom all 
worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say is worthy, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, 
You can take a seat. Those words, I will build my life upon your love, it is a firm foundation. I know when I think of the word build, I'm thinking of building a life. I think of like work, construct, lean in, lay a plan, execute, try harder, do more. For me, I I take it to be perfect. Don't let anybody see you weak. Don't let anyone see you struggling. Hold up all of this on your own. And I know that that leads me to being burned out, weary. That foundation is, uh, it shifts, it changes. And in contrast, Jesus invites us to build our foundation on his love. And in Matthew even says, come to me, all of you who are weary, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so what would my life look like if my foundation's on his love? Well, in the times that it is, I take a few more deep breaths. I don't know about you. I'm a little bit quicker to listen, a little bit slower to speak. And so this morning, I wanna invite us to rest in his love. There's a word in the Psalms, Selah, and it's used in between different stanzas or at the end of Psalms, and it just means stop and listen. And so let's take a moment this morning to stop and listen. Maybe you're coming from a place like like I've been so many times of striving, of effort, strain, and just heavy laden, burned out, weary. Maybe you're coming from place of being skeptical or not so sure, apathetic about this story of Jesus and his love for you. Maybe there's hurt, there's separation, there's anger. And in all of those places, I think if we rest and we choose to rest, which doesn't just mean be lazy, it actually means to trust in his love for us. So we're going to read a scripture a few different times through, and in between there's going to be silence, and that's a moment to just reflect. Say, Lord, would you show me your love? Would you root my identity, my foundation in your love in a new way? I know as a musician, I often like to fill the silence with different things. So this silence is intentional, and sometimes it can feel awkward or different. But I would invite you, use this time, reflect on the words that we'll read over you of scripture, and then we'll just, in the silence, rest. Hear the word of the Lord in 1 John 4, 10. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins.
this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. overwhelmed and I cannot hear your voice I hold on to what is true though I cannot see the storms of life they come and the road ahead gets steep I will lift these hands in faith I will Remind myself of all that you've done in the life I have because of your son. Love came down and rescued me. Love came down and set me free. I am Mountain high or valley low, I sing out, remind my soul that I am yours, I am forever yours. When my heart is filled with hope, every promise comes my way. When I feel your hands of grace rest upon me. Remind myself of all that you've done 
you to sing this and as we've invited Jesus to show us his love and that we could rest in his love that means that we are called into his family we are children of God so make this statement I am yours a prayer and if you want to sit and reflect on that and let that sink in feel free to do that if you want to stand and declare this raise your hands feel free to do that We'll continue to sing it and pray this with us. Give us a renewed understanding of that 
again this morning because we need it again this morning. We promise that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that your mercies are new every morning, and we receive it. We plant our feet again on that truth that we are loved and seen and known. Thank you for that. Amen. Amen. You know, I never take for granted being led in worship, uh, but uh, this morning, I didn't think about this until right at the first service, I was being led in worship by my community group. So this is an extra privilege. Andrew, Johanna, Matt, thank you all for leading us in worship this morning. May we never take for granted the gift of that. Hey, um, some things are so foundational in life that if you don't start well, everything else uh, is off. And the people who would say amen to that the most here would be the builders or the contractors in our body. They understand if you don't spend the time laying the foundation, the rest isn't going to go well. You know, when we launched uh, Fellowship Bentonville, meaning launched by breaking ground, actually on the physical building at Fellowship Bentonville, we did that in very early of 2020. I can't tell you how many times through the next few months, maybe even the next six months, since we don't live too far from here, my wife would drive by and say, I thought we broke ground. And I'd say, we did break ground. She'd say, I think you need to call somebody. It doesn't look like anybody's doing anything. So much of the beginning work was all the unseen work of just laying the foundation. And it occurred to me, I think there's only been one building in the history of mankind that's ever been celebrated because it had a faulty foundation, right? I am convinced that when the contractor started that project, he did not call it the leaning tower of Pisa. He probably just called it the tower of Pisa. For the next 600 years, so many man hours and millions of millions of dollars had to be poured in just to keep that safe and habitable. When we were launching Fellowship Bentonville, we wanted to make sure that the foundation of this church, meaning congregation, was built on a solid foundation. So we went to the bedrock of the words and the work and the ways of Jesus Christ. Wanting to start there and there only, which is why we chose the Gospel of John as our opening series as we launched. See, the goal was to quickly survey John by going, looking at his seven I am statements, Jesus' seven I am statements in the Gospel, then looking at his seven miracles, and then looking at his seven one-on-one -on -one encounters. And this morning, we actually start the beginning of that last set of seven, his one-on-one -on -one personal encounters with individuals. So the question is this, why did we go in this order? Because if we're not going to go through the Gospel of John chapter 1 through 21 straight, why didn't we just choose to start with the seven encounters and then pick up the miracles and the I am statements later? And it's because how you start matters. The kind of foundation you lay changes absolutely everything. See, the truth is, all of us, all people, think in these four categories. Uh, we have a concept of who God is. We have a concept of what God does, or at least what we think he should do. We have a concept of, of uh, what, uh, who we are, who people are, and we have a concept of how people should live. By the way, that's true 
for the most devout Christian and for the Hindu or Mormon neighbor or even your agnostic friend who says he's not sure what he thinks about God. There is a concept. The question is where your starting point is, whether you start at the right side or the left side of that diagram. If you start at the right side of the foundation where you believe that the most important thing about you is what you do. So for example, you're the kind of person who would get up every day and try to be good and do good, believing that if you can do enough good that somehow that would make you a good person, it would change who you are. And then if you could be a good person, maybe that would influence the way God would treat you. Maybe he would do good towards you. And if he does enough good towards you, well, that might change or show you who he is. That maybe he likes you, even loves you. The problem is, it's religion. And it's Christian and it's non-Christian forms. In fact, when you read the rest of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul calls it legalism. Sometimes he calls it works or flesh, meaning our own effort. The point is, it's the wrong foundation. But if we start with what the Bible says, and it lays a different foundation, always starting with who God is. Who God is leads to what God does. And that begins to change who we are. Our identity changes, which then spills over to a whole life change. That, men and women, is why we chose to cover the seven I am's and the seven miracles first. We wanted to firmly lay the foundation of who Jesus is and what Jesus does, knowing that will change our identity. And then that will lead to ongoing life change. And nowhere do we see that solid foundation more clearly articulated by Jesus than in his first encounter with a man named Nicodemus. We pick up his story in John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, that means teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Now, right up front, there's some things we know about Nicodemus. We at least know three things about him. We know that he's a seeker. He approaches Jesus at night. Your guess is as good as mine about why at night. I think the most logical explanation is he did not want to be seen talking with Jesus. But he did have questions about Jesus. He'd seen his miracles. He'd heard his message. There was something compelling about this Galilean rabbi. And so he approaches Jesus and comes with his questions. That, men and women, is your best starting point. If you've got questions, you don't let those keep you from God. You bring them to him. Second thing we know is that he's a member of the Sanhedrin. The text tells us he's part of the Jewish ruling council. The Sanhedrin was the 70 men who governed Israel, both civically, politically, and religiously. Nicodemus was part of the political power of his day. He would have been wealthy. He would have been educated. He would have been connected. He would have been an elite. Well, you and I would say he would be somewhat like a senator. But third, it tells us he's a Pharisee. See, the Sanhedrin was a two-party system. We know something about that, don't we? 
It was made up of two parties who didn't get along and compromise well with each other. We might know something about that. The Sadducees were the liberal party of the Sanhedrin. The Pharisees were the conservative party of the Sanhedrin. They held to a literal, strict interpretation of the Old Testament. These were the men who were the preservers of the faith, passed it down to the next generation. These were the ones who were more popular with the common man in Israel. Now, the truth is, this little bit I know about Nicodemus, I already like him. I'd invite him to be in my community group in a heartbeat. Jesus says, or Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, I know, Jesus, that you have come from God. No one could do what you do unless God was not with him. Oh, so close. Oh, so far away. His foundation is just leaning just a little bit. See, he assumed that Jesus was just with God and from God, but that's not the foundation of who Jesus is. Jesus is God, and that foundation makes all the difference. He was drawn to what Jesus did through his miracles. I would have been too. But he doesn't understand who Jesus is, a core building block of who God is. And that's where Jesus wants to deal with Nicodemus. So in verse 3, this is how he answers. Jesus replies, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Don't you see how Jesus' answer to Nicodemus, it starts so foundational. In fact, I don't know that you can get any more foundational than this one line. Number one, he takes them back all the way to how you were born. That's pretty foundational about life, isn't it? But secondly, he takes them back to truth. He says, very truly, Nicodemus would have heard this with his ear. In his language that he spoke, he would have heard, amen, amen, or truth, truth, or bedrock, bedrock, foundation, foundation. This is how people experience life. Let me take you back to your birth story. There's two words, or excuse me, two meanings of that word born again that Nicodemus would have heard. Born again. You know, it's a phrase that we're kind of familiar with, at least now in our culture. Not so for Nicodemus. By the way, in the way I was raised, not so for me. In fact, I had really never heard the term born again or been around anyone who ever used that phrase, because I didn't grow up in a church, ever, until I first encountered it as a teenager. It was because Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan were in a presidential campaign, and both of them had gone publicly on record saying that they were born again. And for the first time, the term born again went from private church circle talk to cultural talk. Now, as Nicodemus hears that term, strange as it is, born again, he would have known it could have meant one or two things because the word again in his culture could have been repetition, as in born a second time, or it could have meant source, as in something happening just like it did originally. And Jesus is using the second term, um, Source, 
that you're born exactly the same way originally you experienced birth before. In fact, that's why so many English Bibles that you might be looking at say the phrase, born from above. It clues in on the source of where the life comes from. Born again is a statement of spiritual identity. Born again uh, describes having the kind of life that God originally created mankind to have. And this, well, this is confusing to Nicodemus. I'd understand if I was him. Verse 4, he answers Jesus, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus is confused because he's locked in on repetition. Uh, How can a person repeat the day he was born? Notice he's only locked in on physical life, right? How do you experience physical life again? And Jesus has a much bigger picture, a much fuller definition of life. He's focused in on spiritual life, and so he clarifies in verse 5. In verse 5, he continues. Jesus answered very truly that, amen, amen, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. You must be born from above. Clearly, Jesus has in mind source language here when he says born again. In fact, he says you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the experience of the life of God unless you've been born, he says, both of water and of the Spirit. What does Jesus have in mind when he says of water? Well, some would say what that must mean is that Baptism is required for you to experience salvation. Water is water baptism. But that doesn't square with what the rest of the Bible says. Number one, it doesn't actually even square with the rest of what Jesus says, even in the Gospel of John. If that's so essential to experience the life of God, you would think Jesus would say it over and over and over again because he cares about the foundation. No, there must be something else. Others would say, well, water, it's a metaphor that means maybe the Holy Spirit or the Word of God, because the Gospel of John does describe the Holy Spirit with the metaphor water and the Word of God with the metaphor water at times. Others would say, what he's talking about is physical birth. As a woman's water breaks during labor, this communicates physical birth. And I think that's most likely because it completely fits the context. Nicodemus just finished asking, how can I enter my mother's womb again? And later Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh. But listen, if we fixate on what water means, we've just mastered laying the wrong foundation. Because the point Jesus is going to drive home is what it means to be born of the Spirit. There's the source he's driving us to. And without being born of God spiritually, Jesus says, a person, man, woman, or child, will never 
enjoy the life of God. Said more plainly, there is no salvation for someone who is not born from above. Why is that? Because there's no spiritual life for someone who's not born from above. Which is why Jesus in verse 7 is so emphatic. He, he says here, you must, must be born again. He doesn't tell us that being born again is a helpful thing in your life. No, he says it's an essential part of life. Why is that? Because without the life of God birthed in us, all people are spiritually dead. And that only makes sense if you, well, if you go back to the foundation. When you go back to the foundational story of, of mankind, of all people, you open up the pages of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2, and there you see that God created humanity in his image. What that means is he made us alive, alive in our body, alive in our soul, and alive in our spirit clearly alive in our body. We had physical life. But we are also men and women with souls. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotion. It's the stuff that makes you you that I can't see on the inside. But God also made us alive spiritually. He made us alive in spirit, the part of us that could respond to God, relate to God, commune with God. And God gave mankind a will to choose to commune and follow with God or a will to choose to go their own way. God promised Adam and Eve, if you eat from the one tree that I said don't eat from, I want to give you a promise. He says, you will surely die. And mankind ate and surely died. Surely died in all the same ways we were created. We died in our, our spirit instantly, meaning our relationship and our life with God was separated by sin. When you are separated from life, you're dead. But we also died in our souls. So our minds don't think clearly. Our, our wills, well, they're bent towards selfishness and pride and power. Even our emotions, come on, you know how cloudy our emotions can get. Because there's a death process in that. And obviously, we died in our bodies. You know the one truth we all share this morning? One thing in common is that we are one week closer to the day we will die than we were last week when we gathered in worship. I know, it's sobering. You're welcome for that. But it's true to understand the reality of our condition, not just in our bodies and our souls, but in our our spirits, and that everybody, man, woman, and child, deals with the same problem, which is sin that separates us from God and death that is a result. And the one thing dead people can't do well is close the gap to life. And you know that. We need somebody to re-life us. We need to be born again, or to say it another way, born from above, or to say it like Jesus just explained it, born of the Holy Spirit, or to say it in a way that we can all understand, we need to be born with the life of God that only He can provide. 
And every person who is born again that way experiences a salvation of being thoroughly re-lifed. In fact, when we talk about salvation or being born from above, we're talking about our spirit being born from above. That once we trust Jesus Christ for salvation, we become alive to God and all of our sin is forgiven. Sometimes the theological word for that is justification. Uh, Justification means all sin is forgiven and we are now made right in Christ. So it means, as some have defined justification this way, that God looks at us just as if I'd never sinned. That's our standing before God, our birth certificate before him. That's not our daily experience before him, is it? Because you probably didn't make it to church today without some experience of sin. That's why salvation continues, and it includes our soul is thoroughly born from above. That's the process God is doing right now. The Bible sometimes calls that sanctification. It's the ongoing renovation work of our mind, our will, and our emotions, where we think and feel and do life a little more like Jesus as we walk with him. See, the good news is this. I am not who I was yesterday. Thank you, God. But I'm also not who I will be one day. Thank you, God. There's a renovation process of God saving our souls. But we're also saved, born from above in our bodies. We sometimes call that glorification, and that will happen at Jesus' second coming, where we will one day have a resurrected body like his. The point is this. God thoroughly creates mankind, and God thoroughly recreates mankind when we're born from above in Christ. Our spirit, our soul, our body, thoroughly alive, born from above and of the Spirit. Jesus continues to amplify this. In verse 8, he continues and says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. He says, Nicodemus, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying, listen, The life of God born in you is not just a necessity for mankind. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Just like you cannot control the wind, you cannot control the Spirit of God. But when he moves, you can see him at work. Just like when the wind moves, you can see it at work. And here he talks about the fact that the Spirit of God blows into our lives in very mysterious ways. And you know that to be true. Some of you here uh, came to faith in Jesus Christ maybe simply by reading the Bible on your own. Isn't that awesome how God would just blow into your life through the pages of Scripture? Some of you might be more like my story. I needed someone to explain salvation to me. Some of you came to faith in Christ as a young child. Maybe you're exactly like uh, Sarah Overman who talked about coming to Christ at six years old. Some of you came to Christ later, maybe even as an adult. Some of you are here and you're not yet born again. God might be blowing his spirit into your life right now. 
The question I have for you, though, is this. How do you view your salvation in Christ? I mean, do you view it more like some people would view their Sam's Club membership card? I have a Sam's Club membership card. It's not just because I live in Bentonville. It's because even before moving to Arkansas, I love Sam's Club. I mean, where else in the same building at the same time do you get great deals and free appetizers all at once? And I need that Sam's card because I need to show that I have membership and that one day, on occasion, I might need to enter and enjoy its benefits. Is that how you view salvation? Like a membership card that you carry because one day you'll stand before God after you die and you want to enter a place that has its benefits. If so, that's foreign thinking to God. Because God views our salvation more like a birth certificate, a totally different kind of document I have. And it documents a living person with a new identity who can grow and carry out all new possibilities. See, a birth certificate says we're a whole new person with a whole new life. And Nicodemus, so new to this, just observing Jesus and coming with a question, he didn't understand this because he saw salvation as something he could possess a membership card that showed that he was in good standing with God. And he saw it only, his life only, only from the physical realm and not his spiritual identity. Even his religious life was something as a Pharisee that he could do on his own to show his membership was valid. And I think that is today's world as well. Some of us here are still trying to manufacture and accomplish and achieve the life of God. But did you notice how Jesus says the life of God comes? It comes through birth, not through achievement. None of my children came out of Lisa's womb and said, look what I did. They just breathed in the life they were given. You see that all the time as people say, I'm going to change who I am. I'm going to go to church enough or I will live by a moral code that will show I'm good. And if I can show that I'm good enough, I will become good. And God must like good people, which is odd because Jesus spent a lot of time with broken sinners like me. No. When we listen in on Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, we see that the life of God is something that's experienced through new birth from above, from the Spirit of God. As we listen in more to his conversation starting in verse 9. Nicodemus asked, how can this be? You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. Do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. You don't believe it. 
Verse 12, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of you of heavenly things? And now he's going to zero in on the heavenly things. Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. Who is that? The Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, allusion to an Old Testament story Nicodemus would have known about how healing and life came when a serpent was raised up on a pole. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus is saying, you can trust what I'm telling you about life from above. You know why? I came from above. I am God the Son who has come to earth. By the way, we call that the incarnation. For those not familiar with the Christian story, that's why Christians celebrate Christmas. He says not only that, God the Son will be lifted up on a cross to pay for your sins. That lifting up will give the same kind of life and healing as it did in that Old Testament story. We call that the crucifixion. That's why Christians celebrate Good Friday. And then he says, God the Son will be raised from the dead and return to heaven. We call that the resurrection and the ascension. That's why Christians celebrate Easter an ascension day that happened 40 days after. You know what he's just described in those two verses? Who Jesus is and what he does. Who is he? He's the son of God. What has he done? He's come to us. He's died for us. He's raised from the dead. He's returned to heaven and has all authority. Why did he do that? So that he could change who we are and what we do. Look at the, where it leads to, verse 15, so that, Jesus did all of that, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Remember, your life is only as solid as your foundation, and Jesus is saying very clearly right here, I am life's foundation. If you build upon me, you will have eternal life. And then he heads into what quite possibly might be the Bible's most well-known and even foundational verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I had someone after the first service come to me and say, that is the gospel, even spelled out, G-O-S-P-E-L, God's only son, so that you won't perish, but have eternal life. One sentence summary of God's passion that led him to a work on our behalf. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe him stands condemned already. Why? Because they're already stuck in death. 
because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. John 3.16 is so foundational and so profound that I lack words to articulate its depth and strength. All I know is I've staked every ounce of my life on the truth that God loved in a way that he gave Jesus Christ to pay for my sin and conquer death. And that by believing, I can build an eternal life upon him. I trust that with my very life. Verse 16 and 17 says, All people are saved only in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ. So that matters not how religious or irreligious you are. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And that is true for far-off nations, which is why we care about global outreach. But that's also true for our next-door neighbors, which is why we care about loving our neighbors. That's true for the religious Mormon and Hindu neighbor. It's true for our agnostic friend at work. It's true for my committed Christian friends in my community group. This is life's foundation. Three times we are told that whoever, isn't that a great phrase, whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life. Whoever means you've never seen a more inclusive invitation than this. But whoever must believe in Jesus Christ. You've never seen a more exclusive invitation than this. All can find life when they find it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You know what I think Jesus is teaching Nicodemus and me and you? That if you're born only once, you die twice. But if you're born twice, you die only once. See, the truth is, someone went through great pain for you to be born, both physically and spiritually. And if the physical birth is your only birth experience, then you are still stuck in sin, and you die twice. You die physically and spiritually. But it doesn't have to be that way because the inclusive offer on the table, you're included in the whoever. If you respond to Jesus Christ in faith, then you're born twice, and the only death you will face is the physical one of the body. Men and women, this is God's offer in Jesus Christ. Why does he make such an offer? And he tells us why. Because he loves you. I mean, drink that in. Don't, not in a theoretical God loves humanity distance. He loves you. How does he love you? So much that there's nothing and no distance he would not go to not re-life you. You know, the best definition of love I can come up with is that love does what is best for another person. God did what was best for us by sending and giving his best and by doing the best that we needed. By sending us a savior 
and giving us new life. The best God can give people stuck in sin and death is a Savior who can cleanse sin and conquer death. And we have that in Jesus Christ. There's no greater evidence of God's love than that. He gave you Jesus. The only question is, will you receive the love of God by believing in Jesus? See, Jesus loved Nicodemus so much to lead him to this clarifying sense of where foundation is found. The only question is, would Nicodemus believe this? Now, in John 3, we don't know if Nicodemus came to faith in Christ. I wonder. All I know is that his name comes up two more times in the Bible, both of them in the book of John. One in John chapter 7, where Nicodemus risks his reputation by defending Jesus verbally in front of the other Pharisees. And the other in chapter 19, where he is at the cross, helps to take Jesus down from the cross and to a tomb and buries him. Clearly, Nicodemus has identified his life with Jesus Christ. The only question left is, have you? Will you? I think the best way to express faith or belief is through prayer. Prayer is an articulation of faith to God. In a minute, I'm going to put a suggested prayer on the screen. I'll tell you right up front, these are not magic words. These are my words that I wrote on Thursday morning. But if these words that I put on the screen express the desire of your heart, make my words your words and respond to Jesus Christ with his life-giving love. Would you pray this along with me? Maybe this is the time the Spirit of God is blowing in your life and you just want birth more than you want more effort. He wants this too. Heavenly Father, I'm spiritually dead in my sin. I need a Savior. Thank you that Jesus is my Savior. I believe he died on the cross for my sin. I believe he rose again to give me eternal life. I believe in his promise that I'm now born again in him. Thank you for eternal life and for your spirit living in me. And all God's people say, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, regardless of how you feel emotionally, you can take Jesus up on his promise. You are born from above by his spirit. And with new birth comes new life. You know what else new birth brings you? A new family. <laughs> Everyone is born into a family. The family of God is called the church. Look around. This is your family. I know, someday so-so, right? They were a motley crew. I got a hunch you're going to fit right in. You really will. Welcome to the family. We are glad that you're here. May we grow up into the image of Jesus. Would you stand?
and join as Matt and Johanna and Andrew lead us in worship. If you prayed the prayer uh, that Mark put up on the screen, uh, would you come and, and share that with us? There'll be a handful of us over here on the right side of the stage. We would love to celebrate with you. Uh, we come to Christ one by one, but we grow in community, and we want to start that journey with you. Also, if you want to know who God is, and you want to know what he's like, and you have some questions, come share that. If you have a burden that's too big to bear, Come share that. We would love to, to pray with you, to talk with you, and, um, and just finish our, our worship service that way. So 
let's live the new life that Jesus offers us this week together. And uh, have a great week. Thanks for worshiping with us.